Well, hey, how are you guys doing this morning? All right, good. Thank you. Um, you got already getting more participation than first service. Um, hey, my name is Zach, and I'm the student ministries pastor here at Grace. I also work with young adults, and, um, and most of you should at least recognize me. By the way, if you don't recognize me, that probably means you're one of those people that comes in late to the service every week. Because I'm usually the guy who starts things off. I know a lot of people miss me. But, uh, but yeah, um, I thoroughly enjoy my job. Um, I like what I do. I like working with students. I, I, I enjoy it. Uh, some of you guys, just let me say this. Some of you guys probably don't hear this enough. But you parents out there, a lot of you, man, you, a lot of you got some good kids. All right, we got some great kids in this church growing up here. Others of you, eh, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but just so you know, as a church family, um, we have a great generation of kids that are coming up in this church. And it brings me hope, and it should bring you hope um, within this church, just to know that the generation that's coming after you is solid. All right? Got some good kids. Um, and, and that's part of the reason why I love my job so much is I, I get to work with those kids. Um, one thing that I'm starting to realize in student ministry and working with students all the time is that I'm starting to realize that it's becoming a little more difficult um, to relate to students these days. I don't know if it's just that's something that like happens as I'm growing older. I don't view myself as that old, you know. I'm, I, I'm, you know it wasn't that long ago when I grew up. But it, uh, I guess it comes down to is the way that students live their life, and the way that kids live their life today is just different than the way I grew up. Right? Even though, again, I didn't grow up that long ago. A lot of you guys, you remember me because I grew up here in this church, and I wish, I wish some of those memories I could take back, but I can't. You know, you, you're stuck with them forever. Um, but uh, it, it's just, the world's just different. And that's what I'm starting to realize is that the world is different, and the world is constantly changing. I mean, uh, ju just as an example, um, when I grew up, uh, I, uh, I, I spent most of my days outside. Okay, that's, that's what I did. It would be, you know, in all honesty, my parents didn't want me in the house, you know. Um, I would come home from school, I'd do my homework as fast as I possibly can, probably not right all the time, and then I would, I would head outside and I'd be there all afternoon and evening until the streetlight came on because that was my cue that I needed to come home. You know, it's just different. I, and I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's wrong, but, uh, I, you know, now there's just, there's just more things, there's more entertainment, there's more things to do inside. You got your phone, you got your computer, you got your, your PlayStation 4 now, and you got your iPod, you got your iPad, you, you know, you got all this stuff. Um, we didn't have that when I was growing up. Uh, some of you guys may not be aware, but nowadays sports don't have seasons, okay? When I grew up, sports had seasons. You had, you had football season, and then when that got over, you had basketball season. And then when that got over, you had baseball season, and then summer was free. And that's not how it is. Nowadays, it's like uh, students, and especially in high school, it's like you get really good at one sport, and you play that sport all year round. That's just how it works. Right, if, you're, if you're good at baseball, it's like you have your baseball season for school in the, uh, in the spring, and then you got your rec baseball in the summer, and then you got your traveling baseball team in the fall, and then you got your, I don't know, indoor baseball team uh, in the winter. You know, it's just baseball, baseball, baseball all year round. When I was growing up, we didn't travel around the state playing volleyball or wrestling or cheerleading, okay? That didn't happen. That's not how the world worked. Um, another example would be let's just, uh, cartoons, Okay, every kid likes cartoons. Um, when I was growing up, we had cartoons uh, in the morning right before school and then in the afternoon right after school and Saturday mornings. That was it. 
There was no other shows for kids besides, besides those times. Um, we didn't have Cartoon Network. Nowadays, it's like, you know, you got multiple channels that have 24-7 cartoons and shows for kids. And so a kid could get on any time during the day or night, and they could watch their show. It's, it's just different. Um, actually, when I was growing up, we only had five channels on our TV which was rough, you know. No, uh, some of you guys are like, I had zero because we didn't have, you know. No, I had five channels. And let's face it, for a kid, PBS, that doesn't count. I had four to work with, you know. Um, it was, it's just, it's just different. Uh, cell phones, okay, that, that's huge. A lot of kids, most, most kids, especially in high school, they have their own phone. Um, the, uh, when I was growing up, cell phones didn't exist until like middle school, um, or late middle school, I think it's the first time, maybe when I was in ninth grade, I think it was the first time when our family got a cell phone, and then it was just one that we all shared. Uh, but, uh, but I remember being, you know, being a kid and hearing about these things called car phones, and being like, dude, car phone, that is so sweet, that sounds awesome, someday I'm going to be able to ride in the car and talk on my car phone to anybody I want, that's the future, the future is so bright, you know? <laughs> um, that's, that's how, you know, it's just, it's just different. And it hasn't been that many years since I grew up. And the world is just a different place and it's constantly changing. I mean, think about it now. Uh, you want popcorn, what do you do? You go to the cabinet, you grab some, a bag of popcorn, you put it in the microwave and you shut the door and you press the button that says popcorn and out comes popcorn. It's a good system. Uh, TV. Uh, we all, probably most of us in this room, we have probably half the channels that we have access to on our TV we've never even watched, you know? Some of those are meaningless. Um, it's just that the world has changed and there's more for us to do than ever in the history of mankind. There's more places to go. There's more things to see. There's more entertainment available than ever before. And really the bulk of us are, are bored out of our minds and we're frustrated because we, we live a life filled with entertainment and filled with possessions but we are still discontent. And so that's what I want to unpack this morning. That's what I want to talk about is contentment. And really, contentment is an unbelievably important idea. And Paul, he chooses to basically end his letter to the church in the city called Philippi with this idea. And you guys know the background information uh, because we've been talking about the book of Philippians for the past few weeks. But Paul, he's under house arrest in Rome, and uh, he's writing this letter to this church in the city called Philippi. It's actually pretty far away. And you got to understand, when you're reading the book of Philippians, that uh, Paul, he's not just like writing a mass email to all these people saying, hey, you group of Christians over here, you guys are great, okay, this is what you need to do, this is what you don't need to do, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. That's not what he's doing, all right? You got to understand that Paul, he knew these people. He knew these people personally. Actually, Paul's the guy who started this church. Right? He cared for these people. He loved these people. When he's, when he's writing these people, it's, it's very personal. It's like he's pouring out his soul to these people. He, he's saying, hey, you know, I love you, and this is what I want you to understand. This is what's best for you. And so really, whenever you're reading the book of Philippians, you got to keep that in mind. Like, wow, Paul, he really means this. He thinks this is so important that he's going to write this to, to these people that he loves. And, and this, in this church, they loved him back, okay. Uh, they tried to help Paul whenever they possibly could. They helped Paul financially. They helped uh, Paul with supplies whenever Paul went on his missionary journeys. They helped fund him for that. They supported him. And so uh, they had this really unique, great relationship with each other. And even now, this is part of the reason why Paul's writing this letter is because he's writing them to say, thanks. 
I appreciate Hey, thanks. Um, thanks for all the stuff you've given me. Thanks for all the help that you've given me. Um, and so last week we left off in verse 9. And so today we're going we're gonna to check out verse 10, the next verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. It says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. He's saying, hey, I've received your gift, and it excites me. All right, I've received your gift, and I want to say thank you. But not only do I want to say thank you to you guys, but I also want to say thank you to God, because God allowed you guys to help me out. Right? Thank you that you were able to do what you are able to do. He's, he's, he's saying, I, and he's not trying to get on them in any way, because sometimes you could, you could look at this and say, oh, man, you know, he, uh, he, he's, they revived their concern for him. They, they started to, to remembering him again. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you've wanted to help me out for a very long time. I get it. I know that. Um, but you didn't have the opportunity. You just were not able to at that time. You guys got to remember that, you know, in the ancient world, they didn't have planes or trains. You couldn't just like jump in a car and drive to Rome to deliver money or a gift or, or supplies or anything. You just couldn't do that. It didn't exist. Actually, the, um, the trip from Philippi to Rome was actually a two to three month trip. That's if you travel every day. It's a pretty big trip. You know, it's a pretty big commitment to be able to do that. So they weren't able to do that. And um, eventually uh, they, uh, they, they found a guy within their church. His name's Epaphroditus. And he actually went and he delivered some supplies to Rome. Actually, he's the guy that uh, is carrying this letter back to them. Paul writes this letter. He's like, hey, Epaphroditus, while you're going back to Philippi, deliver them this letter. All right. Um, and we know that in chapter 2 that Epaphroditus, uh, he actually almost died on this trip. He got so sick that he almost died. And so this was really, I mean, it was just really a big deal, and it was a dangerous trip for him to be able to do this. And, uh, and, but this church, they helped him out nonetheless. And so in the next verse, in verse 11, it says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul's saying, I'm not saying that I want more cash. I'm not saying I want more gifts. I'm not saying I want you to help me out more. He's like, actually, I'm, I'm saying the opposite. Actually, I've learned to be content with what I have. And let's just, let's talk for a second. Let's think about that. How many of us can truly say that we are content with what we have? Everything. Not that many, right? I mean, how many of us can truly say that we are content with what we have, that we have, that we have everything that we feel like we need? And we're happy with it. See, I feel like we all understand uh, this general idea that we need to be content. And, and, and I don't think most of us are content in every situation. Um, but when we're not content, what do we do? We justify it, right? Like, oh, yeah, I understand. I got to be content. But, uh, but, and I'm content in these situations. But I don't know. There's just something different about this one. You know, when we're not content, we justify it. And we justify it with some sort of an excuse and uh, it's usually centered around our circumstances. Right? It, it's deeper than, than just what we have. It's deeper than, you know, actually I need to be content in just, not just in what I have, but in the circumstance that I'm in. And that's usually what our excuse is centered around. You know, well, Zach, Zach, you don't understand what I'm going through right now. It's okay. Or, or I have a good reason to be discontent. Or I have a right to not be content in this area of my life. Or in, in most situations, I'm pretty content. I'm a pretty content person. You know, I'm thankful for what I, I, I'm, I'm content. 
But in this area over here and this one, eh, those are different. Or, or, hey, I have a right to be discontent because my brother or my friend or my ex-wife or my ex-husband, everything that they seem to be doing, just seem, I mean, their life just seems to be going great. Everything for them just it always goes right. And for me over here, nothing seems to go right for me. So, yeah, in this area, I'm discontent, but I have a right to be discontent because of that. We all get what Paul would say to that, right? I mean, we understand that, that no excuse is okay. Uh, Paul, he actually, let me tell you about some circumstances that he went through. In 2 Corinthians, he actually gives us kind of a list. You should go through and read it sometimes. It's pretty interesting. I'm just going to kind of recap it here this morning. Um, but he gives us this list saying, hey, I've been through this and this and this and this. this. He talks about how he's been through prison. He's like, hey, man, I've been to prison. Okay, and, and back then, I, prison isn't like how prison is today, okay. Uh, prison was a dark hole, you know, in the ground. It was wet, it was cold, it was dark. That was prison. That's where he stayed at for days and days and days and days, all right. Um, he talks about being in prison. He talks about being beaten. He's like, hey, I've been beaten so many times that I can't even count. That's rough. He's like, I don't even remember how many times I've been beaten. Um, he talks about being in constant danger of death. He says that, uh, that he's had 39 lashes before. And, and by the way, back then, 40 lashes was a death sentence. All right? 40 lashes was like, oh, you're dead. And, you know, hey, if your punishment that you got for doing whatever was 40 lashes, it's like, I'm dead. Um, 39 lashes, you might not die. And Paul's, and Paul's saying, hey, I got 39 lashes by my own people. That probably hurt. Uh, the Jews... One, two, no, uh, five times. He's like, that's happened to me five times. He talks about being beaten. He says, I've been beaten with rods three times. It's probably hard to be content when you're getting beat with a rod, you know. That's, that's, that's pretty rough. Um, he talks about being shipwrecked three times. You would think after being shipwrecked twice, he would not get on another ship again, but he did. You know, it would be like if you were in a plane and... You're, you know, the plane goes down and it crashes and somehow you survive. You're probably, you know, a little timid to get back on another plane. But say you do and then that one crashes and you survive. Probably not get on another plane again, right? Yeah. Um, Paul's saying, I've been shipwrecked three times. And because of that, I was, uh, you know, I, he says, I, w I spent a day, a whole day and a night just floating at, out at sea. Um, he talks about how he's faced dangers by rivers and robbers. He's saying uh, his own people, the Jews, uh, they've wanted to kill him. And not just the Jews, but other people groups around have also wanted to kill him. He says he's faced danger in the city. He's faced danger in the wilderness. He's faced danger out at sea. He talks about having so many sleepless nights that, you know, he's just like, I've been, there's been so many nights where I just can't, I can't sleep. Because of all the danger I'm in and because, because he's thinking about other people. He's just like, I, I couldn't even sleep. He talks about uh, starving. I've had so many days without food that I'm literally starving. Uh, the closest thing I've came to starving, which isn't very close, um, is uh, uh, last year a group of us, we went to Thailand to check on our orphanages that our churches support. And it's pretty, it's pretty fun. We, do, we have that opportunity um, every couple years here at Grace, so, you know, if that's something you're interested in, you should definitely look into that, um, and it's a fun time, but you're out there all day, you're like playing with kids, you're sweating, you know, it's like 150 degrees, you know, and you're out there playing soccer, and you're running around, it's just very active, you know, and so you get pretty hungry, but the Thai people, they eat less than we do, all right, they're also smaller than us, 
um, they eat less. And so for like lunch, you know, I'm a guy, I need meat and I need, you know, I need something that's going to be filling. They, they would come and they would hand you this little, it's like maybe smaller than a tennis ball, ball of rice. Lunch. And I'm like, oh, I remember looking over at Tom Price. Tom went with us. I'm like, dude, I'm going to die. You know, <laughs> this is starvation right here. This is cruel. Um, Paul's like, no, I'm not talking like that kind of starvation. He's like, no, I was literally starving, <laughs> you know. Um, he talks about how he was, he was, he's been in, he's had days where he's just dying of thirst. There's nothing to drink. He's just dying of thirst. He talks about how he's been unbelievably cold and how he's been close to dying from exposure. He, it, this one time we know that he had this, he called it a thorn in his side. We don't quite know, understand what it is, but it was some sort of affliction that God allowed to happen to him. Um, where it was probably physical pain, like in his side. And, um, and it just hurt a lot. And so Paul, he's asking God, he, we, we know that he prayed to God. And he's, he's asking God uh, time after time after time again to take it away. And God just says, no, I'm not going to. Which is probably a good reminder for us that uh, it's okay for God to tell us no. You know, some of us don't like that. It's like we get all ticked off at God because he doesn't do what we say. It's not how God works. And so God, we know that Paul had that problem with him. And then on top of this, Paul kind of, he wraps up his whole section. And he's like, man, I've been through all these circumstances. He wraps up this whole section and he says, and on top of that, I just feel the unbelievable amount of pressure on my shoulders, worrying or, and, and thinking about all the other churches that I'm ministering to throughout the entire Roman Empire. You know, thinking, oh, I hope they're okay. Or I hope they're doing everything right like, I, like I've told them to do. And I, I, he, he has all this pressure on his shoulders. And so Paul's like, hey, man, I've had some rough circumstances. I've had some rough ones. But God has still called me and us to be content. Even though my circumstances are not ideal, he's saying, I need to be content and I know that. And so really our question here this morning should be, all right, I get it. Got to be content. You know, that's, that's an important thing. That's a Christian thing to do, you know, be content with what I have. Um, how? How do I do that? How, how is that um, possible? You know, think about it. Uh, to be content, not just sometimes, because we're all content sometimes. You know, not just sometimes, but in every situation, how is that even possible? Paul, he actually already answered this. He says, check this out. He says, I have learned to be content. He learned it. All right? If you have to learn to be content, that means, learn, that means being content is not natural. You have to learn it. Um, last year, last summer, I guess, um, being in student ministries, I realized, you know, it would probably be helpful if I was able to drive the church buses around. By the way, if you have been a bus driver for us, for student ministries, thank you. You know, it's a, it's a huge help to us. We do, you know, we put you through the ringer camps and Cedar Point trips and a Kalahari retreat, you know, where we just use bus drivers all the time, different little things. But I just want to say thank you for you. Um, I really appreciate that. But last time I realized, I was like, man, it would be very helpful um, if I was a bus driver. Okay, if I was able to drive the bus if I, if I needed to. And so you have to get this thing called a CDL, you know, and a commercial driver's license to be able to do that. And you kind of got to jump through some hoops to make that happen. You have to take two multiple choice tests. You know, and I'm thinking multiple choice, please. You know, if I don't know the answer, you just always pick C and that's usually right. Um, 
So I'm like, all right, two multiple choice tests, I got that. And then uh, you have to take a driving test, just like you're 16 again. Love it, you know. Um, and then where you have an instructor watching you, and then you have to take an inspection test where you have to walk around the bus and you have to inspect it and make sure everything's good. And that part's crazy. And there's an instructor watching you. You know, you got to check the windshield, the emergency exits. You got to check the engine. You got to check your fluids. You got to check your lights. You got to check your tire. You got to check your tire pressure. You got to check the treads on the tires. You got to check your gas tank. You got to check there's no leaks. You got to check. There's just stuff. You know, the suspension. You got to check, like, everything. All right, it's, it's really nuts. It's probably a good thing, but it, is a, it was a pain to learn. And so I go into these, uh, these tests, and I'm like, man, I got this. I could drive a bus. You know, I've been driving cars on the road for 12 years now. You know, for some of you, it's like, you know, I'm like, for me, I'm like, 12 years is a pretty long time. It's over a whole decade I've been driving. Um, and so I'm like, man, a bus, it's just a little bit bigger. It's just a little bit longer. I can handle this. No problem. Well, I did the test. They gave you this little book to study. Yeah, I'm like, Psh, multiple choice. Um, and so I take this test, fail miserably. It was embarrassing. I'm just, I walked in there, you know, how far do you have to park, how far do you have to stop the bus before a railroad track? I'm like, I don't know. You know, all the answers seem pretty right. You know, it's like, it, it's, it, it was just, it was just nuts and I, and I failed. Um, just for all you mothers out there, just know I did pass it. The second time, after I went through the book and I read it, parts of it, and um, yeah, you know, you don't read everything. But, uh, but I did pass. Actually, as I was doing my driving test, the instructor, who, by the way, kept, he knew I was a pastor and I'm driving a church bus. He kept calling me a man of the cloth. <laughs> I don't even know what that means 100%. You know, I'm just like, oh, okay, sweet, I'll take it. Man of the cloth going to have kids start calling me that. Um, and uh, so, so we're getting ready to pull back into the place. We've done the whole driving thing. And, and he turns to me and he says, you know what, man of the cloth, you know, he's like, this, uh, your driving test has been one of the best driving tests I've ever seen. And this guy, you know, he's, he's an older gentleman. He's like, since I've been doing this. I'm like, yeah, I am pretty good. You know, I'm thinking, and it's literally two seconds after he said that, I turn into the place and I run over the curb. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on. You know, it's just like, geez. Um, but what I realized I had to do, uh, I realized that driving the bus and the inspection part wasn't natural for me. All right, it didn't just come. What I have to do, I had to learn to do it. Same thing with what Paul's saying here. Paul's like, hey, being content, it just doesn't come. It's not like you go to God and say, hey, God, um, I, could you help me be content? Thank you. I'm content. Everything. It's not how it is. We have to learn. He says you have to learn to be content. All right, you have to train for it. You have to train yourself to do it. You have to practice at it. You have to learn it. And check this out. He actually repeats the same thought in the next verse. He says, I know how to get along with humble means, but I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, there we go, we got circumstance again. He says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He's saying, I learned how to be content 
while I was wealthy, okay? We know that Paul was wealthy. Actually, before he became a Christian, he was young. He was an affluent. He was the next it within the Jewish circle of religious people. He was a rising star. He had money. And, uh, and then, so he's saying, hey, I, I learned to be content when I had money because I, I used to have money when I was wealthy. He's saying, but I also learned to be content when I had nothing. What he has right now when he's writing this letter. He's saying, I've learned how to be content when I had more food than I could ever need, but I also learned how to be content when I was starving. You see what he's doing here? Contentment is not in any way connected or related to your circumstances. Contentment is not in any way related to your circumstances. He's saying, either way. I don't care. Either way, I'm, I'm content. He's saying, if it's wealth, that's great. I will consider the wealth that I have, I will actually consider it not mine, and I will use it to do whatever I possibly can to reach as many people as I possibly can for Jesus. Great. If I have nothing, hey, that's great too. I, I get the privilege of relying on God for my every need, not necessarily my wants, and I do whatever I can to reach as many people as I can for Jesus. Right? He's saying it does not matter which takes place, I will be content. It doesn't matter if everyone loves me or if everyone hates me. It doesn't matter if I'm healthy or if I'm really, really, really sick. It doesn't matter if everything works uh, in my life like, like I want it to or if nothing seems to work in my life as planned. He says it doesn't matter if I'm, if, uh, if I'm comfortable or if I'm uncomfortable. He's like, it does not matter. I've learned to be content in everything. Circumstances just don't matter. They do not affect my contentment. See, it's the same thing for us. Our contentment is never to be connected to our circumstances. It's not connected. It's two different things. And why is that? I mean, why is it? It's because our identity is not um, in our stuff, our identity is not in our position or our circumstances. It's not, it's not where identity is. Our, our, our identity is only supposed to be in Jesus for those of us who truly have a relationship with him, which it probably isn't everybody in this room. But those of us that do, that do, our identity is not in any of that. Our identity is only in Jesus, in Christ. And so the next verse in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. I don't think there's a more misquoted verse in the Bible than this one. I mean, we've all heard this one before, right? I could do all things through Jesus because he's going he's gonna to strengthen me. And this is, this is the one that we, you know, we've all heard it. You know, I could do anything with God's help. Um, we've seen this, like, on Christian t-shirts where it's like, it's usually like, I could do all things, you know, and all things is all caps, you know, it's like anything um, with Jesus who, who helps me or Christ who strengthens me. Or Christian athletes, they use this to get them pumped up before a race or pumped up before a big game. Man, that's so taken out of context here. It's not saying um, God's going to do everything for me. It, it, for me, I realize that there are things in life that I can't do. I will never be an NBA, you know, I, I will never play in the NBA. It's not going to happen. I can't do it. I get it. This verse is an evidence that I can. 
what is Paul saying here? The context is all contentment. This is a real bummer for us. You know, it's like, man. He's not saying Christ will strengthen me to be the CEO someday. Will he? Could he? Yeah, he could. He's saying whether I'm the CEO or not the CEO, right, I will be content with what I have because Christ is going to give me strength to be able to do that. Right? You live where you are as who you are for Jesus. That's really the whole concept of the letter here. That's really what Paul, that's really what the whole letter is about. If you take everything from just the past few weeks, because, um, uh, you know, we've been talking about the book of Philippians for the last few weeks. If you take everything kind of boil it down to what, what, what's Paul trying to say in this letter? You know, what's his, what's his big idea? His big idea is, hey, have joy. Guess what? You get to have joy. And because of your joy, rejoice, 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 rejoice. That's what he's saying, right? Living every minute of our life for God. And when we do that, when we live every minute of our life for God and we have that joy within us, when we do that, when that's our focus and when that's our goal, that's how we learn to be content, right? That's what Paul's saying is the secret. That's the secret, okay? Man, it's it's so easy for us to get caught up in the meaningless, exhausting pursuit of trying to find contentment without God, right? Without God being the center of our life. It's so easy for us to do. I mean, in reality, that's why we don't have joy, okay? That's why, that's why we don't have joy in our life. Why? Because we aren't content of where we're at or what we have. We're not content. That's why we don't have joy. This is something that, that I've heard before, and, and I truly believe this, but I believe that the best possible way to judge someone's spirituality or to gauge where somebody's at in their relationship with God, the best way to do that is by looking at their life and, and seeing how much joy is portrayed. How much joy do they have in their life? If they don't have joy, if, they're always, if they always have a bad attitude or, not, you know, you could see when, when things are going wrong in their life and you could see it on their face when they don't have joy, the relationship with God is not right. Man, that's the best way. If they don't have joy, they're not content with what's going on. There's always a problem in their life that they keep on griping about. They're not content. All right, if that's you, you're not content. All right, some of us, you know, we just need a big attitude change. And I think that happens uh, naturally and that ha- happens automatically when we learn to be content with what we have. Because in reality, the world is filled. It is filled with entertainment. It's filled with things to do. It's filled with places to go. And it's filled with things to see. But none of that will bring contentment in your life. It's not how we're made. It just won't happen. Paul's saying the only way we get contentment is through Jesus or Christ who gives us strength. He's saying, hey, we need to have joy. We need to have joy in our life. But the only way to have joy is to be content with in any circumstance, not just some, all of them. He's like, and the only way to really become content is it doesn't come natural. It's, you know, you got to learn to do it. You got to learn it. But when you do learn it, then you got joy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, we just ask you that you would help us to be content. 
Help us to learn to do that. Help us to practice for it. Help us to train to be content. God, that's something that we all need and, and something that you're saying is important and something that we should be doing. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for caring for us when you don't have to. We thank you for giving us the ability to be content and to have joy. God, we thank you again for all that you've given us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, don't forget, next Sunday, we got our Celebrate Grace. We got chicken. This is one of the best Sundays of the year. So make sure you're back. It should be a good time. We'll see you back next week.